are there other resources that you know people could go to look at as far as opportunities to learn more about financial empowerment uh, besides sitting in your living room and having a cocktail <laughs> with you which also seems great drinking some whiskey and having a financial conversation with akasha okay. it sounds like a great <laughs> friday night for me Welcome back to another edition of the Good and Grounded podcast. I'm Laura Love. And I'm Jim Licko. Uh, we're excited about our guest today because in previous episodes, we've been addressing individual issues, um, you know, many of which nonprofits or organizations serve like food insecurity or affordable housing, child abuse and neglect, among other things and other topics. But today's topic is um, how all of our nonprofits are and can be investing for a more sustainable future in our Colorado community. Akasha Absher is the president and principal of Centrinsic Investment Council, which specializes in helping nonprofits organizations develop a customized investment portfolio. Her background uh, includes a mix of investment consulting, investment banking, fixed income training and risk management, among other things. She's also extremely heavily plugged into our community here in Denver and around Colorado, serving as secretary of the board of Colorado Charter Facility Solutions, uh, board of advisors member for Colorado Succeeds, and a fellow board member of mine for the Denver Metro Chamber Leadership Foundation. When she's not putting in the long hours or giving back to our community, you can probably find her practicing or teaching yoga somewhere, probably traveling somewhere amazing, or maybe even enjoying a, a very good rye whiskey on the rocks, or maybe two of those things at once, not all three. Uh, but welcome to the show, Akasha. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And unfortunately, I haven't been traveling anywhere exciting, but I have been drinking some good whiskey. Um, the COVID has dictated a little extra whiskey. Priorities, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, for, for those maybe not familiar with Intrinsic, the, the business model is pretty unique in that you, are, you focus on helping nonprofits and family foundations with their investments. We really work with them to develop and implement investment strategies that align with their unique mission and investment objectives. So I have to ask, because you guys have been so instrumental, and Ben, certainly I've worked with him for years on so many nonprofits that he's come in and really made those nonprofits feel comfortable, feel confident, and investing is, it's confusing, right? It's, it's overwhelming. And when people talk about impact investing, what does that mean exactly? Think about it along a spectrum of investing. When you think about impact investing, uh, there are aspects of it. It's a very broad term where people are talking about mission aligned investing, ESG investing, socially responsible investing. There are so many um, terms for it. And so when you're thinking about it, you're making an investment in something and you want a financial return, but you also want to generate a measurable social and environmental impact. That's really what impact investing means. And so for a lot of our nonprofit clients, what they have figured is that, okay, by doing impact investing, I may be able to move my mission forward as well as generate a financial return to support my current organization. So you can potentially affect climate change through your investing. You could have potentially vote with your dollars for equal pay or diversity on boards or diversity in management. You could potentially invest in underserved communities by providing investments to small businesses for women and people of color. 
Um, all of these things are across the spectrum of impact investing. So you mentioned the nonprofits, and again, I know that in general and, and during normal times, identifying where to invest is often difficult. And I'm sure that's you guiding them in that way has made the difference between wanting to sit in the corner in a fetal position and rock and actually trusting an organization that does that. So, but then now we have the last seven months, right? And these nonprofits, whether they're worried about fewer individual donations or the decrease in corporate or foundation giving, it, it's overwhelming. And so when it comes to your clients, specifically the nonprofits here in Colorado, what are you and Ben and the team seeing as the, their biggest concern um, about the future of investing and their investments? Oh, that's a great question. Um, and there are quite a few, uh, I think, concerns. There's also quite a few opportunities. Um, so some of the concerns really about the future of the investments is what will the capital markets bear going forward? So long term, most organizations are trying to make uh, their 5% distribution plus uh, keep pace with inflation so they can last into op uh, perpetuity. This crisis has lowered return forecast over the next 10 years. Return forecasts were coming down before this crisis, but this crisis has lowered return forecast over the next 10 years. So our nonprofit organizations are very concerned about uh, how they're going to be able to fund their mission over these coming years. And then the biggest crisis I think that everybody, or biggest concern that everybody has is what is the duration of this crisis? Because as long as the economy stays closed, a lot of nonprofit organizations' needs will increase. And some of their donations will, of course, um, unfortunately come down, potentially. Some have seen donations increase. And the capital markets will also struggle the longer the economy is unopened. So I think those are the biggest concerns that people have had over the last seven months. I said one of the biggest opportunities, though, is it is forcing a lot of nonprofits to rethink their business models, which is not something that nonprofits do normally. You don't usually get money from a donor. Here, think strategically and redo your business model. And so this right. is allowing them to do that. And so I think that has been an opportunity for a lot of organizations of how do we reduce costs, but also um, be sustainable and serve the need. That That's interesting. Um, <clears throat> One-off question here on that, and you don't have to name names or anything, but do you have any examples of, of you know, either wins or of that evolution that you're speaking of with some of your clients where it's like, you know, we shifted our staffing focus over here or we really um, changed the model and how we're fundraising from, you know, corporate donations to individual giving or something like that. Are there some individual stories that you have that might shine some light on examples? Of course, I was talking to an organization today that has one major conference. Actually, I, I talked to another organization last week who has the same. And what they have found is they were able to take a lot of that virtually, but they're also able to provide more content during the year, thereby reducing their exposure or their uh, revenue risk to one major conference. We've seen, I'm sure you've all seen, um, and I'm sure you guys have helped, a lot of organizations take their fundraiser virtual. And a lot, while, while by the revenue line may not be the same, the expense line isn't the same either. So they've been able to 
um, have a profit with that and, and a different experience. And I think some of those things will definitely translate over as we come out of COVID. How do we have both virtual and in-person activities? I also think that a lot of our clients have been able to engage with donors in a more meaningful way. Think about just in general how you um, engage with people. We see people out at an event and it's like we saw them. We don't actually intentionally call people. We don't intentionally set up a Zoom. Now you have to be more intentional. And I think it's actually helped people be more engaged. Yeah, I think that is so true, right? I mean, you pick up the phone and you actually want to connect with someone versus it's okay, I know I'll see them at this big event <laughs> next week. Oh, that's great. Um, well, you mentioned the economy and how, you know, th that's different than the markets and things like that. I, I, one of the things that we're seeing just specifically from an investment standpoint is how quickly the stock market shot back in whatever that was, early May. Um, and it's just kind of continued to have gone up while while interest rates, you know, go down. I think everybody I know has refinanced their home in, in this summer. Um, where are people looking for opportunities with investments in, in the market or otherwise right now? And, and, and is this something that's sustainable when it comes to the stock market and how it's just continued to um, you know, be a bull? So just as a little bit of background on the, uh, what has happened in the market, uh, beginning in March, we saw an extensive coordinated economic stimulus from both our government and our Federal Reserve. And so it's the largest economic stimulus response we've seen since World War II, coordinated extremely fast. And for those who don't know, fiscal stimulus refers to increased government spending to stimulate growth and economic activity. So think about the stimulus checks we had, PPP loans. And then monetary stimulus is a little bit of what you've been talking about, Jim, with uh, in its most basic form, increasing access to money and credit and lowering interest rates. So all of this stimulus has led to significantly low interest rates. The Fed's committed to keeping rates at zero until 2023, which has made it for cheaper for companies and individuals to borrow. Everybody's refinanced their home if you still have a job. Household savings are up one point or one point two trillion higher than pre-crisis levels as a result of stimulus checks and PPP. So all of this has been supporting the underlying stock market um, and the economy, actually. And just let's be clear, when we talk about the stock market, the S&P 500 is really driven by five technology stocks, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, and Google. Not telling anybody anything they don't know, but that's about 24% of the index. And all five of those companies have been doing really well because of the crisis that we're in. So all of that has been supporting the marketplace. In the public markets, we've really seen um, investors put a premium on sustainability and corporate social responsibility, particularly in the face of all of the social justice issues we've seen, this health crisis, the inequalities, um, having companies that are sustainable, strong corporate so uh, social responsibility, and are resilient, um, able to navigate this crisis and come back out the other side as still a business, there's a premium for that. So those are where the opportunities are. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's interesting. It's almost, like I said earlier, it's just overwhelming, right? There's so much information being thrown at us that it's hard to sort of absorb it all. And and I've, I've watched you up close, I've watched you from afar. I know that you're a huge supporter of the Women's Foundation of Colorado and the work that you've done for them. And I think it was one of your interviews and I think it was with your husband, you had talked about growing up as a child of a single mom who really struggled to support you. And 
um, it, it played a role, I'm imagining a pretty large role, in your support of women and economic opportunities. So I guess I'll ask a data-driven question, but it's, it's with heart and feeling, but why does it make economic sense to invest in women and girls, especially during this time? Oh, of course. Um, so my favorite statistic, you may have heard me say this many, many, many times, if we close the gender pay gap, we will add $12 trillion to global GDP by 2025. Think about that, right? $12 trillion. We're in a phase of where we talk about um, low growth. That actually is an economic opportunity. If you were to think about supporting racial justice and think about closing the wealth gap, that could also add trillions of dollars to our global GDP. So. It's an imperative where it makes economic sense, it just not even just social sense. I love it, and I have heard it before, and I'll hear it again and again and again, because you say it so well. It's, it's, it's such a low-hanging opportunity that needs to be addressed sooner rather than later, obviously. Um, we like to leave our listeners with something tangible that they can do to help their communities. One way to either offer their time, one way to give back monetarily, um, support the community in some way. What what are you working on? What are you what are you championing right now as far as uh, a way that that you might challenge our listeners to get involved with the community and give back in a time of need? So one thing I would just leave you with, and then I'll talk about ways to help. Is capital is a tool that enables transformational and transformative work to be done. You can use it to scale as a catalyst for change and to support communities. So with that, the capital that you have, the monies that you have, think about the ways you invest and how you're advocating for the things you wanna see in your community. We talked about equal pay, access to opportunity, access to capital for underserved communities. The other thing I would say that I don't think people think about enough is we can't do this alone. And so how do you collaborate to work on those problems and invest together? Um, so think about ways of collaborating. And then um, you asked me this earlier, and I would say for all of us, just share stories of success because everybody is trying to figure out how to navigate this crisis. Everybody's trying to figure out how to thrive and we all need to invest in our future. So as we share those stories, we can help each other and lift each other up and think about new ways to invest and do business. Thank you. And outside of obviously finding you, which we will obviously provide that information to our listeners, are there other resources that you know people could go to look at as far as opportunities to invest, to get involved in the community, to learn more about financial empowerment? There are many organizations that I think are doing phenomenal work. Uh, particularly around uh, impact investing. So uh, Mission Investors Exchange is one. Um, SOCAP, S-O-C-A-P, is another. Um, Confluence Philanthropy is a membership organization, uh, a membership organization of advisors and foundations focused on moving impact investing forward. Um, and there are many, many other groups. But one of the reasons why I suggest all these groups is they put out a, a lot of white papers and they share resources from so many different organizations. So what foundations are doing, what other advisors are doing. And so you're able to read um, a plethora of information on how people are tackling uh, these goals. 
Thank you so much. We appreciate it. And we'll still be over to have a, you know, a cocktail with you in your living room. It seems like we'd learn more that way. I would love that. (laughs) Thanks for the time, Akasha. We appreciate you so much. So Jim, our amazing producer, Armand, and I have discovered one of our COVID silver lining, and it's certainly this podcast. It is such an incredible opportunity. We get to talk to fascinating Colorado leaders. So if you know of a leader that's really leaning in during this difficult time, we do want to talk to him or her. So please send us a message. Don't forget to check us out on goodandgrounded.com. You can hear us on Spotify, iTunes, or Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Please share this podcast episode and let's go do some good in our Colorado communities. Mm -hmm.